listening to audio from Redwood Baptist Church. If you need any more information about us, go to www.redwoodbaptist.org. We hope and pray the message that you're about to listen to will strengthen you, encourage you, and make you more like Jesus. Blessings. Take your Bibles, please. Turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter number 1. Congratulations, Mr. and Mrs. Diego. And I said that when I saw Jessica the first thing this morning. She's like, oh, I'm going to have to get used to that last name. And I assume you ladies in here that married you, you know about that, some, some transition there. He asked, he asked us this morning, how many of you are glad to be in church? Say amen. I was a little weak, but he didn't hear me. I was behind him when he said it. I said, how many of you are glad to be married? And he was focusing on you all, but uh, congratulations. And uh, we, uh, we rejoice with you. It was a beautiful wedding. Thank you for the privilege it was to uh, be the one leading with Pastor Luis in uniting you two. And I uh, look forward to many, many, many more years, if not decades, of serving here together at Redwood. Mark chapter number one. And we're going to continue in our series entitled, Simply Jesus. And uh, I hope that uh, the Lord has used this very quick, hard-hitting book to to challenge you. Uh, My desire this morning is to look into a text that should bring great encouragement, great comfort, as well as some great some great challenges and so thankful that you're uh, that you're here let's lock in let's ask the Lord to uh, to just bless this time and and for you to, uh, to listen verse number 29 mark chapter number one verse number 29 and forthwith they when they were come out of the synagogue if you were to look earlier in the book I'm not going to preach on it but Jesus would have just gone into their in Capernaum and he would have gone into a synagogue and there would have been a man uh, demon possessed with a spirit, an evil spirit, and Jesus would have cast that uh, that evil spirit out. And so, when they came out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew. This would be uh, Simon Peter, Simon's brother, would have been Andrew. So Simon and Andrew with James and John, but Simon's wife's mother. Notice that. So just looking at the context and looking at scripture. Peter could not have been what some uh, religions hold to as the first pope. He had a wife and had a mother-in-law. I'm just moving on real quick here, okay? But you just see that uh, in the text here. We're all thankful for our mother-in-laws, right, Mike? Okay, good. (laughs) You'll need to say that quicker next time. No, just kidding. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and Annan, they tell him of her. That is an old English, old word for immediately, Okay. And immediately they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And immediately the fever left her. And she ministered unto them at even when the sun did set. They brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also. 
For therefore came I forth, and he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee, and cast out demons. This morning I want to preach a message entitled, The Mission of Jesus. The Mission of Jesus. Let's ask the Lord to uh, bless our time. Father, we come before you and we're thankful, Lord, for your word. And uh, we're thankful that uh, we can uh, read about the life of our Savior as he, every step of every moment of his earthly life was living in a substitutionary fashion for us. And God, we thank you that we see in this uh, passage his, his love and his care and uh, Lord, his zeal and his mission and his passion. And Father, I pray that our passion and our mission and zeal would be mirroring that of the Lord's. And God, I just pray that you would uh, just use your word. Lord, I pray you'd use me just simply as a vessel. God, that uh, you can use this morning to articulate what you desire for us to hear. Lord, I, Lord, I humbly pray before you that, uh, God, that you would just lift up yourself this morning. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start this morning by, by asking you a question. And the question is this. If you could ask one thing of Jesus... And that could be anything. If you could ask one thing of Jesus, what would you ask? What would you ask? And I want you this morning just to take a moment to kind of examine that, that question. Examine, examine your, your heart. To be honest with you, my goal is not to set you up this morning with whatever your answer would be as much as it is to Let's just, let's just lay our heart out before us. Let's be honest with ourselves this morning. If you could ask anything of Jesus, what would you, what would you ask of Him? What type of, what type of gift or what type of thing? Or maybe it was a, a question of knowledge or whatever. If you could ask Him one question, what would you ask Him? The passage we're going to look at uh, does a wonderful job of revealing the heart of the Lord which is very important, and uh, what is important to him, and uh, the zeal that he has. And there is a way in which your growth as a Christian, as a believer, is all about your desires matching God's desires. That what he wants for you is also what you want for yourself. Our Christian life is, is really somewhat wrapped up into that, of wanting what Jesus has for us. And so it's important for us to have this wonderful window into the heart of our Lord. And we're going to look at three or four different uh, four different windows kind of into the life of Christ this morning. We're going to look into a fisherman's house. We're going to look into the gathering of a huge and growing crowd. We're going to look into an isolated place of prayer in the life of Jesus. And then we're going to look in on the conversation that Jesus had with His uh, early disciples. These, these early uh, four that He had called out earlier in this chapter, uh, the, the conversation. So let's start this morning by looking in on a simple fisherman's house. A, little, a fisherman's house. Their, their homes would not have been uh, very large, but we see in verse number 29. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. 
So Jesus, with his four disciples that he had called out uh, from uh, the sea there, that they were fishing, he says, hey, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to use your life to catch men. He's with them, and it says, but Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever. And Annan, or immediately, they tell him of her, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. Now this is a remarkable contrast to the, the moments that were leading up to this. Uh, the moments leading up to this would have been, Jesus would have been teaching in the synagogue, and there would have been a great multitude there, and there would have been a man that was demon-possessed, and Jesus would have, uh, by His power and by His authority, we looked at that power and authority last week, to be able to say to those men, you come with me. I mean, what, well, what authority? I want you to leave everything. I want you to uh, leave your jobs, and you, you follow me. And then such power, these men came. Uh, but this authority and this power literally removed uh, the spirit, uh, the evil spirit from this person. And there's this great congregation, and, they're, uh, and, and it's public. It's, it's in the synagogue. And his fame grows. The word begins to get out that there's something about this man's power, something about this man's authority that's never been seen before. And you think of Jesus, and you think that he would maybe want to bask in that fame. This is an amazing moment. The people are recognizing his, his power. You would think, hey, Jesus, this is, this is your moment. This is the, this is the time, to be, time to be public. People are, are acknowledging you. That they're seeing what is going on. But that's not what happened. Instead, you find Jesus in the most intimate and the most private of moments. I think I probably would have basked in the glory for a little bit. You all know me pretty well. I probably would have enjoyed the fame. And yet, that's not what you see Jesus doing here. Remarkably, Jesus quickly moves, is moving to Simon's house. And He engages Himself in, when you think about the, the whole scheme of things, it seems like a very little matter. When you think about what Jesus came to do, when He came to be the Savior of the entire world, the fact that one of his disciples had a mother-in-law that was sick and happened to have a fever, doesn't that seem like little insignificant in the grand scheme of what he came for? And yet this moment tells us something about Christ. You and I could argue that many of his miracles are particularly crafted to be public demonstrations of his messiahship. Many of them were. Jesus was declaring in many of these public arenas His, his Lordship, His power, and His authority. His Lord over evil body and the physical realm altogether. But there's something different about this. This isn't a public demonstration of His power or of His glory. This is Jesus in the humble, sweet, compassionate love. He really does care about the effects of the fall on mankind. Jesus really does care about how the brokenness that came with the fall of man when Adam and Eve took of that first fruit and sin entered into the world, <coughs> excuse me, and, and death and brokenness. He cares about how that greets us every single day of our lives and in every way He cares. This is Jesus invading the mundane moments because of His love. 
this is really, there is nothing really too small for Jesus. Now, how is that important to you? And how is that important to me? Well, the reason why this text is so beautiful to me, the reason why I resonated so much with it is because you and I happen to live in these kinds of little moments. We live in unremarkable little moments where you and I are hit with the brokenness of this world. This week as I was reading this text over and over again and I was pondering it, my, my thoughts went back to over the last weeks and months and really years that we've been praying for Carla and Elizabeth. Even last week, Carla had a seizure and she had to, and she had to leave. But I, I, I thought of that throughout this week and, and I communicated with Carla and I, and I asked her for permission to share this. But, but why do we pray? Why do we pray for a miracle? Why do we pray that, that God can uh, touch her body and these seizures could no longer uh, happen? Is because you and I, we believe that although Carla is one individual in this world, Although Carla is living in one individual home in one little moment in time, we believe that God really does care. And we believe that God doesn't turn a deaf ear to the cries of His people. And so you see Jesus in this, in this moment of where He has just literally healed someone from, uh, from demon possession in the synagogue, in this public arena where people are starting to, hey, there's some, there's some movement towards Christ. There's some movement towards His authority and towards His power. You see Him come away from that to the home of a fisherman. A small little home. And He's, he's told about this woman's fever and He takes her by the hand and He lifts her up and immediately the Bible says the fever's gone. We are loved by a Redeemer who cares about the details of our lives. Let me ask you a question. Where did the brokenness of the fallen world push in on you this week? Where did you face the pain and the weakness of this world? Where did you find the trials and the suffering of living in this present world? Where did you find the confusion and the disillusionment that comes with the fall? In those moments, hear me, did you say to yourself, I have a Savior that cares? Or did you question that? Did you question His goodness? Did you question His love? Did you question His care and compassion and His his understanding of what is going on in your world? I would challenge us this coming week to remember this text. Remember where most of us, we'd have been basking in the fame. (laughs) Absolutely. Jesus withdraws himself to a simple fisherman's house to help a woman with a fever. Thank God that he cares for you. We see a little bit of a glimpse of Jesus in this text. Well, let's notice not only a fisherman's house, let's notice secondly in our text, the gathering crowd. So this is, according to Mark 1, the second time there was already kind of a public arena there early on. And now there's this gathering crowd that begins to take place. Look at verse 32. And at even, when the sun did set at evening, they brought, forth, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. 
And all the city, listen to that, all the city was gathered together at the door. Whose door? This tiny fisherman's house. And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. Two different times here. Jesus wasn't, he wasn't all about that, that, that fame yet. That, 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 that's coming. It does not take long for the crowd to find where Christ is. I want you to picture this, this small little fisherman's house and crowds leaving the city. Just kind of flocking out. And they're coming out with their disease. They're coming out with those that are lame and, and maybe deaf. It doesn't talk about all that. But many other times, Jesus would heal all of these other types of different types of diseases. Those that were sick. And they're starting to press in on the door. Just tons of people trying to get as close as they possibly can to the Messiah. They, they, they've heard what He's done. The news is beginning to spread. And, and they're seeing Jesus for this man that can heal. And so they're, they're responding. Now I need to say something about this moment that we're reading because you've got to understand the motivation of the crowd. Because when you understand the motivation of the crowd, you, it'll help us to understand what Jesus will do later in this text. There's no evidence that this crowd is rushing to Jesus because they want Jesus to be their Messiah. There's no evidence that they're rushing to Simon's house because they have understood Christ's requirements. There's no evidence that, they're, uh, that, that, that there, there's evidence actually that this crowd is not so much coming for the Savior and to understand His kingdom that says repent and believe several weeks ago, but rather the miracle working ability of Jesus. What am I about to say? Obviously, it's not wrong to bring your needs to Him. We just talked about that. He cares about every one of your needs. But something is wrong if that is all you want. See, Jesus will not be satisfied with simply being a delivery system to you. Jesus wants to be the thing that you love the most. He wants to be the thing or the person or just the, the, the idea that you desire most. He doesn't simply want to be the vehicle to what you really want. Jesus wants you to want Him. So if you could ask Him, again, I didn't kind of set you up, but I also tried to let you know I was doing that. You could ask him for anything, what would you ask him for? But he wants you to want him more than whatever you would ask him for. Home, love, money, wisdom, whatever the case is. Hopefully, if you're not saved, you, you would you'll ask him for Christ, salvation, for redemption. But this crowd was very much like the crowd in John chapter 6. John chapter 6 tells us of when Jesus Christ fed 5,000 and that did not include the women and the children that were there. And he did so with a little boy's lunch. You know the story, right? He gets them all to sit down there and he begins to, just, it's so beautiful, he begins to break the bread and break the fish. And when, when you study the context of it, it's, uh, Jesus is literally recreating, recreating as he just continues to feed over and over and over again. And the crowd, literally, John 6 tells us that they were ready to make Him king. Jesus like, yes, this is the moment. 
No, he runs and hides, John 6 says. And the crowd, they finally, they, they finally catch up to him. And they're, Jesus, why did, you, what, what, why, why did you run? And he says, you ate the bread, but you didn't, you didn't, see, you didn't see the sign. What he means is this miracle that I've done is meant to point you to a deeper need in your life. And then he gives him that extremely hard saying, if you want to inherit the kingdom of life, if you want to, if you want to go to heaven someday, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Gross! And they all leave because they were missing the, uh, the, the symbolicness of what he was doing for them. I think there has been a horrible distortion of the gospel message in our culture. You want to be happy? You want to be satisfied with all of the good things that life can offer? You want to be healthy? You want to be wealthy? Then just come to Jesus. Because Jesus takes care of His own. And He's going to fill your coffers. You're never going to have a cold. You're never going to get cancer. You're never going to have this. You're never going to have this. You're never going to struggle as, as we've struggled with Cardinal Elizabeth through this. And we're praying because we believe in a God that can radically change that. But if, we, if our gospel message says, you just come to Jesus and everything will work out. That's a faulty gospel. In that way, Jesus is more of a divine vending machine than a Savior. There's this I've not been there yet, but I'm tempted to go now that I'm bringing this up. There's this sushi restaurant down in like the South Bay area. I don't know what it's called right now. But it, like, it brings it to you on conveyor belts. How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? There, there's a computer right there, and you say, oh, this is the kind of one I, what I want. And someone back in the kitchen cooks it, and it's like, and it comes right to your table. I mean, what a country, right? Jesus doesn't want to be your vending machine. But how often do I make him my vending machine? How often do I come to him because I need something, because I want something? My son's battling a little bit of a, a cold, and he kind of had a little bit of a, a little coughing fit in the middle of the night. And I don't, it was about, about 4.15. And I said, man, I don't want to get up right now and help him. So I woke Sarah up. <laughs> there was some partial truth to that, because um, I didn't know where the medicine was. But and he just kept coughing, kept coughing, kept coughing. And you know what I found myself doing? I found myself, oh, Lord, would you please help us? Lord, would you please help us? And the Holy Spirit says, what am I, just some, you know, vending machine for you? I was like, oh, I knew what I was preaching today. Actually, he knew what I was preaching today. And he's like, I want to work in the life of the preacher. Sometimes I just treat him like a vending machine. I made this statement last week. Sometimes we put in the quarters of prayer, and then we hit the buttons of what we think should come from that. God, I prayed. God, I went to church. God, I read my Bible. God, I dressed to serve God. God, 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 where's mine? And so we see a God of such compassion in this text. Of the, of the most minute details, they matter to Him. The brokenness of the fall. Don't stop taking those things to Him. That's not what I'm teaching this morning. But as you're doing that, realize that Jesus wants to be more than just a vending machine. So what would we ask Him for? Do we, do, do we really want Him? Do we recognize the depth of our need for Him in the way that we ought to in this text? And let's notice another window. We can look into our Savior Jesus and we see isolated place of prayer. An isolated place.
place of prayer. I, I learned something this week. I'm going to share it to you here in a moment. I'm so excited about this. Mark 1, verse 35, And in the morning, rising of a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Jesus withdraws to a place of prayer. We're confronted again with the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's capable of thirst. He's capable of hunger. Jesus is capable of exhaustion. And He is a man and He is in this moment alone and He prays to His Father. Now listen, we don't know exactly what He prays here. Mark does not unfold the the curtains on it. But many times throughout Scripture you see Jesus Christ's prayers in, 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 in and through the Gospels. And what we often learn is, is that Jesus submits Himself to the will of the Father. He prays for those followers, for His disciples and anyone that will come after Him. And He prays that they also will do the will of the Father. But He would often, in prayers that we do have recorded, would submit to the will of the Father. And so we don't know exactly what is said here, but there's something interesting here in this verse. And notice what it says. It says they're into a solitary place. Now, this is the exact same word earlier in the passage that Mark talks about in Jesus' temptation. When Jesus went into the, when the Holy Spirit drove him into, does anyone remember? The wilderness. It's the, exact, it's the exact same word. Sometimes the word is translated in your English Bible, the word desolate. So he's gone to a solitary, desolate, wilderness type place. Now, listen, when you begin to understand what Capernaum was like, that it was really a it, it was a city that didn't have a lot of this really in arm's reach. And so Jesus gets up before day, before the sun goes up, and he departs to a solitary, desolate, or a wilderness type place. And I am getting a little bit ahead of myself. You go to verse 36 and you know that it was of great distance. I mean, uh, the, the, the men started following him, and finally they find him. But the point being here. I believe Mark is trying to show us this, this connection, this, this contrast, so to speak. Jesus is driven by the Spirit to, fa- to face temptation in our place. And now Christ is in our place, going to a solitary, a desolate, a wilderness type place outside of the city, and He is communing with the Father. Now you and I, we, we know the whole picture. Praise God, we can know that Jesus now is in the heavenlies. He's seated there and He's making intercession for us. He's our, he's our advocate. He speaks to the Father on, on behalf of us. The accuser of the brethren comes. Oh man, I can't believe Ryan would do that. So on and so forth. And Jesus is our advocate. He's the man on the inside saying, no, He belongs to me. And so Jesus, again, submitting to the Father's will, showing us a substitute of needing power from on high. And so Jesus goes away from the crowd again. Again, remember, they said all the city was coming out. And now they're pressing in on little Simon Peter's, his, his, his mother-in-law's house, just pressing in there. And he sneaks away after he's healed in the morning. And then let's notice this final window this morning, the conversation with the disciples. We're, we're let in on the disciples. Finally, they, they come find him. And let's look in on this conversation. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said to them, Lest I go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, 
For therefore came I forth, and he preached in their synagogue throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. Can I read that again for you, Jamie? Can you go back to verse 36? Sorry to put that on you. Jamie, can you go back to verse 36, please? I want to read it again for you, the way us, like human people, would read it, okay? And Simon, and they went with him, followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. All these people, that they all came to you. They were all they were all seeing your power. They were all seeing your authority. All men are seeking for thee. And he said to them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. The disciples, like you and I would have been, I believe they're a little confused here. You know, where in the world is Jesus? The crowd is gathered. They're ready to receive what he is able to do. And where is he? You can kind of sense a little bit of irritation, maybe even a little bit. Everyone's looking for you. They're all here. Where'd you go? And Jesus gives the answer. And he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also. And therefore came I forth. In this moment when Jesus answers the question of these confused and most likely I certainly would have been irritated disciples, He's really revealing to us what is important to His heart. This is uh, Christ. He's saying, I'm willing to demonstrate My power. I'm willing to demonstrate uh, my authority. I'm willing to touch people and to heal them. I'm willing to cast out demons. But that's not what I came for. I didn't come to be a healer. I didn't come to be a miracle worker. Jesus is saying, I came to be a Savior. And He's saying to us, and He's saying to those early disciples, what drives my heart is not to stand in a crowd and touch 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 and heal. Everybody is there. He says, I want to be a part of a deeper healing. He says, and what, tears, uh, what, what tears at me is the brokenness of sin. And what I want to do is I want to go to town after town after town and preach the Gospel. Now there's something very important for us here and I want to, I want to strike a balance for us. It's important that you and I are loving. It's important that we are a compassionate community in our city. We're called by God to be advocates of justice and mercy. We we should care about the brokenness that is out in the world. We should want to minister to the needs of people and to those that don't have anything and to the homeless and things like that. We should care about people who are not receiving proper justice. We should be an example of mercy in our community like no other group. But you and I will not be able to transform Redwood City by acts of kindness alone. This city will only be transformed by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you and I as an individual... You and I as families, we need to be committed to the centrality of the gospel. And we must commit ourselves to looking 